0: O oh, Stop a dharmasya sarva Saravad dharma Avatar Rama Vasudeva sutam devam. Kangsa Devaki paramanandam Krishnam vande jagat So in the last class we were studying the 60 from 64th to the 66th verse of the second chapter of Srimad Bhagavad Gita, where in the 65th verse, we found that the serenity of mind results in twofold action. So what's the twofold action which follows the serenity of mind? First is the eradication of all sorrows And second is, that one gets established in wisdom. Prasade sarvadukhana hanir asya upajayate. That's the first result which ensues from tranquility. And the second is, prasanna chetaso hi ashu buddhi pariyava dishtate. That's the second. The first is hani asya upajayate what's hani, upajayate? hani means eradication upajayate, ensues the ira- eradication ensues what eradication of what sarva dukhana that all sorrows without leaving even a trace of sorrow it's not that, that the life is interspersed with joy and sorrow the sorrow is eradicated once for all That happens when one gets established in that tranquility. And the second is, Prasanna hi chetaso, Prasanna hi chetaso asu, Prasanna chetosha hi asu, Buddhi paryava tishthate. His Buddhi. That gets established. Means what? He never wavers in his decision. His wisdom has now been established. So what are the two things that in the last class we were were discussing? That with the tranquility of the mind, the likes and dislikes, they fall off. It is the likes and dislikes, the worries, the tensions, the anticipations that we are always carrying as the baggage. It's just like a baggage which we are always carrying around us. And we got so much habituated with that baggage Sometimes we don't realize that we are carrying a huge load with us in the form of is a psychological load in the form of worries, tensions, expectations, anticipations. All these in the form of a baggage is always with us. We are carrying it. And we got so habituated. We never realize that we are carrying it. Now, suppose you're carrying a bag for a long time, you got so habituated, you never realize that you're carrying a huge weight and suddenly you sit down and the bag is removed from you. Immediately you realize, let go sensation ensues. You have a sense of relaxation. Then you realize that I got so habituated with this weight, I was not realizing that I'm constantly stressed. Only when the weight is taken away, then that relaxation ensues. So this is the prasad, once for all. When the likes and dislikes all have fallen off because of your identity with yourself, you are no more identifying yourself with the happenings of life. You're identifying yourself with the witness, the one who is witnessing all the things which are happening in life so it's not that the dukkha stops eradicates because all the things become favorable it can never happen the life has its ups and downs it is going to be that's the way of life there will be ups and downs i cannot eradicate the so called the all the frictions in life what i can do is i can transcend them by being established as the witness self, by being identifying myself with the witness self, and knowing it very, very well, that this happenings is a flow. It will just pass on in no way affecting the real me. And when it happens, when all the likes and dislikes has fallen off, then along with it, all the concerns, anticipations, expectations are bound to fall off and that Ensues in a sense of let go, which speaks of the eradication of all the suffering. When that happens, after that, another thing happens. These are the two results that we were speaking of. That with the serenity comes eradication of sorrow. So that's why very interesting. Instead of saying that you get something, a bliss, they're saying, if you say you get happiness, then there is a chance of confusion. You may or we may confuse it with any other worldly happiness which ensues from the fulfillment of a desire, resulting in a tremendous ecstasy, a bliss. It is not speaking of that type of happiness which ensues because of attaining some peak. When I was having a desire, the moment the desire is fulfilled, that my happiness reaches a peak and again it falls off. It's not speaking of that type of happiness. That's why instead of using the term happiness, it is using the term Sarva Dukkhanam hani. That all the miseries falls off and that ensues into a type of bliss which has nothing to do with the tintillation of the nerves. Generally, we equate happiness with the tintillation of nerves, with some sort of excitement. It doesn't speak of any excitement. It speaks of tranquility, relaxation, where all the worries and tensions has fallen off. So that's the one result which ensues with the tranquility of the mind. The second is prasanna chetaso hyashu buddhi pariyavadishthate. His wisdom becomes established. His intellect becomes one that what you said that uh, he develops a tremendous intellectual conviction. There is no wavering from his conviction. How it happens that how his intellect becomes as if clear, his mind is full of wisdom. He never wavers in his decision. What he decides always seems to be the correct. How it happens that our likes and dislikes speaks of the biases of our mind. Our mind gets biased with the likes and dislikes. And as long as our mind is biased, we can never just take correct decisions. It's impossible. That example, first our vision gets distorted because of our biases. For that, that, how the vision gets distorted. That example in the Vedanta, in the Yogas, in the school, we find that suppose there is a stump lying in the corner of a park and in the twilight hours, (coughs) as per, as per our bias, we may be deluded by seeing it differently. A small child who is in search of its mother, sees the stump as its mother. The mother who is searching his child, her child, sees it as the child. A lover who is in search of his beloved, sees it as it's beloved. The police who is in search of the thief thinks it to be the thief. The thief who is in search of the police thinks it to be the police. So what our bias taints our vision. It's just the stump lying there. It's tainting our vision. Throughout our life, we will find our likes and dislikes taints our vision. We don't see the thing as it is. So if you are not seeing the thing as it is, how can the wisdom ensue, that is impossible. And again, we can never take the correct decision also. First, our vision is distorted, and because of the distorted vision, I can never have the correct vision, correct decision. I can never take. For that again, there another in that allegory which Sri Ramakrishna is citing in the gospel. That explains that why our uh, intellect doesn't work properly that he's giving the example of three person who are playing the chess, two are playing and one is the witness. They all are amateurs, they're not professionals. Now, you will see the one who is witnessing, who is just seeing, he always says the correct move. Those who are playing, they always ask him to desist, try to desist him, not to say the move. Please don't say the move, let us play. But now and then he will be saying the correct move. Those who are playing, they are faltering in their steps. Why it so happens? Sri Ramakrishna is giving a very nice example. He says that those who are playing, more than half of the mind is engaged in anticipation, that I have to win, fear, I shouldn't lose. So these anticipations clouds their vision. Actually, they cannot focus on the game because the mind, because of their anticipations, worries, expectations, this mind is clouded. They cannot focus on the game. The one who is witnessing, he has nothing to do with the winning and losing. So he or she is totally focused on the game, what's going on. And that's why he can see the correct move because the mind is totally involved in it. So that's the thing. When, when the one who is onlooker, he's not a good player. When he starts playing, he starts faltering because now the expectation grows so that's the thing which we have to understand that the more our mind is tranquil the more the likes and dislikes has fallen off the more the mind is free from all the bias the more our what you say the wisdom works properly if this life is a wonderful dance we can really dance freely without any tension when we have no bias and for that another, uh, means allegory Sri Ramakrishna is citing in the gospel, very interesting, that there are, there one waiver, was he used to this, you know, those who weave cloths. So one such waiver, after a long time went to meet another waiver. And when he knocked the door, the door was opened, The guest waiver was very happy, was delighted to see the host as well as the host is happy to see the guest for after such a long time they have met. So the host invited the guest, please come in. And then they started chit chatting, sitting together. Now when they were chit chatting, the guest, the guest waiver, he's also a waiver. So naturally he has an interest in various of what you say, these cotton balls, the thread balls with which the host was working. Lot of various colored cotton balls, thread balls with which she was weaving. The guest got attracted with a particular color. She liked it very much. And she developed a hankering for it. Now the host said, after such a long time you have visited, let me just bring some refreshments for you. Now she went inside to bring some refreshment and the guest was so much lured by that particular color of the thread. He took that ball and has and, and just hide it and he hide it under the armpit, kept it under the armpit and he was she was sitting with the armp- armpit pressed, she was sitting. Now the Host came with the refreshments and when the guest was having the refreshments, she realized one of the thread ball is missing. That's a very nice colored thread ball is missing. And she was a bit surprised. I was just working with that how it went. And then she was looking here and there and noticed at the, her friend, the guest, the waiver and realized the way she was sitting but she was pressing her arms too tight, one of the arms too tight. And she understood what has happened. That she is hiding the thread ball under her armpit. How to get it back? Because it was a precious thing for her. She you now devised a plan. When the refreshment was over, she told, after such a long time we met. I'm so elated. I'm feeling I'm feeling like dancing. Do you remember in our olden days? We used to dance together. Come, let us dance together. Let us Celebrate this occasion. Now the guest was really in a fix. How can she dance? But as the host was was requesting again and again, insisting that come let us dance. So at last she agreed. Now they both got up. The host was dancing freely with both the hands free. And the guest, she cannot raise one of her arms because she will be caught. She kept, one, she kept one of the armpit pressed and just raised only one hand and she was dancing. Now the host again just asked him, can anyone dance this way? Is it the way you dance? Dance freely, just see how freely I'm dancing. And then the guest is saying, J in Bengali, J Jamun Jane Ben. Ben means friend. As we know, so that's why we dance. I cannot dance that way. I don't know to dance with both the hands raised that freely. I have to keep one of the hands pressed. So what it speaks of, when we have bias, we become conscious liars, conscious liars. Because we cannot dance freely that our, this particular bias doesn't allow us to be free. And then how can you think of wisdom when already you have some of your likes and dislikes, which you have made it your domesticated it as your pet? You can never free yourself. Keeping that intact, you we will now philosophize. To have philosophy in life is good. But most of us will be philosophizing. What is philosophizing? That keeping our likes and dislikes intact, I don't compromise with them. And now I trying to explain my philosophy that's based on my likes and dislikes, so that that is not disturbed, that is kept nurtured. So I can never have a proper decision. I can never be a man of wisdom. So that's why this sloka speaks this wonderful thing. This is the tranquility in life. This two thing is going to happen. You're going to enjoy a type of relaxation. And in your life, In spiritual life, as well as in your secular life, you will find that the wisdom is shining forth through your personality. So after saying these twofold effects, now the Lord will confirm this very idea by showing the contrary, the opposite side in the next two verses, that if you do not have tranquility, you can never have peace. That will be spoken of in the 66th uh, verse of the second chapter. And if you do not have tranquility, you can neither have wisdom. That will be spoken of in the 67th verse. So let us proceed to the 66th verse. What it is saying? Nasti buddhi ayuktasya. Nacha yuktasya bhavana. Nacha bhavayata shantihi. Ashantasya kutah sukham. Na asti buddhir ayukta Ayukta, what it means, not unified. When your mind is not focused, that speaks of ayukta. It's constantly like a grasshopper jumping from one spot to the another. It is a monkey mind constantly wavering from one thought to the another, one parzit to the other parzit. That is Ayukta. It's not focused. It is not connected, conjoined to a particular ideal. So, for such a person, Ayukta, there cannot be any buddhi. You cannot, this buddhi means the decisive faculty. It means in Vedanta, they divide the mind into four parts. It's actually not four parts. These four Uh, way the mind works, as per the four way the mind works, the mind is divided into, has been nomenclatured in four ways. What are they? This (coughs) mana, buddhi, chitta, ahankara. Mana, buddhi, chitta, ahankara. So what is mana? Mana is the, uh, as per definition in Vedanta, it is sankalpa vikalpa atmak. It is so many things we just take a resolution. We think over it and we, then we think, no, let me not do it at all. Or even if I do it at all, I will do it in a different way. The way at the beginning I thought, I changed my plan. No, I won't do it that way. I will do it in a different way. That's what is constantly going on in your mind. That should I do the thing in one way or in some other way or not do it at all? So it's in Sanskrit they call this kartum, should I do it or not do it or anyatha in a different way I will do it. So that's the faculty of the mind. Vikalpatmak. So with all those options present in my mind at last, I decide on something. Yes, with all these options, this is the thing I find is the thing which is to be followed. So this Nishcaya that after all this Sankalpa, Vikalpa, I make a nishchaya. I just make a decision that this is the way which is ideal for me. Nishcaya Atmika The other truths are Chitta, which is the storehouse of all your past latent impression is the Chitta, it's like the memory house. And Ahankara, it is the self which is reflecting in the mind to give you this limited sense of identity, that I am this psychophysical existence, this ego. So this faculty of mind which generates the ego is called ahankar. So it is actually the same mind as per the various ways it works has been termed in four different ways. It is mana, buddhi, chitta, ahankar. So here we speak of buddhi, the one who is ayukta, whose mind is constantly vacillating who can never focus on a particular ideal. So they can never have this nishchayatmika buddhi. Even if they take a decision because of their vacillating mind, it will be a wrong decision. Once you take a wrong decision and start your life, you can never have proper bhavana. This is again a technical term bhavana. Just to understand bhavana in our Secular way, in a worldly way, what it speaks of, a student suppose is perplexed that what this academic, what's the, what course of academic education should I choose? Instead of sitting down quietly and trying to think that of his own uh, tendencies, temperament, what he likes exactly, what we do generally, what all are saying that we just give importance that uh, what all are saying is a proper ideal uh, profession. So there are various thoughts going on. Someone is saying, this is a good, that is good. So I never sit down to study my own mind, the tranquil mind, what will be proper for me? With thousands of opinion, at last, I, as per the other's opinion, I adopt one of the opinion and most probably I have good marks to go to some professional course, I enter. And in the process, when I'm already studying, you will find what? That now you find as per your temperament, that course is not for you. Now, how can you really contemplate on your study? Make that study your be all and end all of existence? Because constantly you will find that I have chosen a course which is in a way not meant for me. Or even you have completed the degree. As in the last class, we were saying that as a student, I liked biology. So that my liking was with the textbook. But when with the textbook, I was doing quite well. But when I entered the medical prof, just as uh, the studies, the college, now for practical, when I'm taking to the hospital, seeing the sick person, seeing blood, I find my head reels. So again, the same thing will happen that I have decided on something which is not up to my temperament. Now, how can I really means, uh, contemplate on what I have decided? How I can make it my life, the be all and end all of my existence? Constantly, there will be a friction that I have adopted something which has become a baggage for me. Somehow I'm carrying it. So this bhavana speaks of in spiritual term, Nididhyasana. I will come to that. That once you are convinced, you take your decision, you are convinced of a decision, then you start building your life on the decision that speaks of Bhavana. When I am building my life on that decision, my all emotive faculty, my all faculties get involved with that decision. That is Bhavana. Just in the present day language, we can say that let your hobby be your profession. The thing which you really like, that has become your profession. So then what happens, the thing which you like, you have, you have decided that this is the thing I want, and that becomes your profession. You'll be all and end all. Your total life is revolving around it. That is the bhavana. So unless you have proper, proper bhavana, there's a constant friction. So then how can there be peace? So that's the same thing, thing which is being indicated in the next line. Nacha, abhavayatah Shantihi. There cannot be peace, constant friction. ashantasyat uta sukham. There cannot be any sukha. The tranquility, real happiness, the bliss which ensues from a let go. That can never be there because you have never chosen the proper path. Your decision itself is wrong. <clears throat> so that example which we give that it is not the endeavour in our life which speaks of our fulfilment, not the endeavour. It is a paradigm which speaks of our fulfilment. Means what you think to be the ideal, that speaks of your fulfilment. The example which we will give a common example. Suppose there are two walls side by side, and there is a mango tree nearby, and to get the mangoes. The mango tree is laden with the ripened mangoes. To get the mangoes, I hurriedly get a ladder, keep the ladder against one of the wall, and I climb up. After climbing up, I find I have kept the ladder on the wrong wall. If I would have kept the ladder on the other wall, that was a bit nearer to the mango tree, I would have reached the ripened mangoes. This is a bit far away. So now see that if I would have kept the ladder on the other wall, as per the endeavour is concerned, as per my effort is concerned, in both the cases it is same. Whether I keep the ladder in this wall or in that wall and climb up, the effort is same. But I don't get the fulfilment, the thing which I want, if I keep the ladder in the wrong wall. So this will speak of this, the buddhi leading to this bhavana. So when you're not taking the proper decision, you find that you are far away from your goal. And when that happens, the life becomes a dragging existence as if you're dragging with your existence. So as they say that I have take, I have just uh, bitten more than I can chew. So now neither you can swallow, nor as it, the thing you like, you can, you can throw it out. So neither you can throw it out nor you can swallow. That becomes your condition so when that becomes a condition how you can really think of peace of mind now here Bhagawan, as we told that he is taking the life as a whole even in a spiritual life the same thing applies in the present day it applies more <clears throat> nasti buddhir ayuktasya Sri ramakrishna that ayukta who goes on hopping from one type of practice to the other <clears throat> it's very common because of the internet because of this, uh, everything is available so easily nowadays because of the printing media, so many books, you just in the internet, everything is available. So many varied thoughts. And now I cannot decide that today I start some uh, practice. I find it is not working for me. I jump to another practice. And anytime you will find a very interesting thing. Whenever we start a new practice, we find it's very it's very pleasing for me, and after some time, <clears throat> a start of boredom, the monotony ensues, and then again we hop to another practice. At the beginning, it gives thrill, and again becomes it becomes a boredom. <clears throat> Why it happens? And we continue this hopping. Why it happens? That in the entire process of evolution, we always what that we will find a very interesting thing. What has happened? That out of necessity we were always in search of greener pastures. As a grazing animal just see, they're in search of the greener pastures. So the ground on which they are grazing, they have overgrazed it. Now they're in search of greener pastures. And from a distance, the other place may not be green, but always appears greener. Why it appears greener? Because here I have already overgrazed. I can never, get my food out of it so I have to move out so the nature has created the delusion to make me move out it will make me look the other thing as much greener that's why they say that the opposite shore always look greener because the nature has to force out from where we are already trying to maintain our sustenance you cannot so the other thing it may be greener it may not but it always looks greener And that speaks of the thrill which we get even in our spiritual jump when we are hopping from one practice to the other. At the beginning, we're evolved in such a way. Whenever you do such a new thing, first it will give some thrill. And I think, oh, this is the way for me. And then a short of monotony comes. Why? Because any practice, as we told, unless you have resorted to the neuroplasticity by doing any practice, you go on practicing again and again and again and again till the path is formed in your mind. And now that once the path is formed, that's the nature of the mind, it starts, starts liking it to do it again and again. The necessity becomes an obsession. So you have never given that time. So you were hopping. The initial thrill you thought is the happiness. And then you entered the state when the initial thrill is gone. Now you're in a state Where you are yet to work on it. So the path is not created. Every day you have to exert. Though you get happiness or not. But you are not willing to do that. And then what happens? You feel it is not the way for me. You jump. So that way you are restless. You can never get settled in one type of practice. So that speaks of Ayukta Buddhi. Constantly jumping. That's why in our scripture what they say. First, have faith in the words of the scripture. That when I'm approaching a spiritual teacher, first I should have faith. When you're going to the doctor, first you have to have faith. That I know nothing of medical science. He is the one who is the authority. He has studied it sincerely. And after studying, he is the authority. I Whatever he prescribes, I follow. Because if I go on asking him that why, what you have prescribed, just explain me, it is impossible. What he's prescribing is the result of years of study. He knows the entire anatomy. He knows the entire physiology and how the medicine works. And at last he's giving, how can he explain me just in two minutes or three minutes? He may give some idea, but it's so difficult. To to a great extent, I should have faith. And then I resort to the prescription. So similarly, when I'm going to a spiritual teacher, first that faith should be that, that he has lived the life. And that has taken him to a certain of realization. My intellect is not yet up to it. I don't challenge the decisions which he speaks. It's not that I won't be questioning. I will be questioning. When you have faith, the questioning becomes different. When you have no faith, you are questioning the the conclusion itself the what final dictum has been spoken of, that itself you're questioning, that cannot be true. When you have faith, then that gives, then also you question, but that questioning becomes a bit humble question. That's, you you question in a very humble manner. What? That most probably I, my intellect is not up to it. It must be correct. Because it is a well-researched decision, uh, conclusion. It must be correct, but my intellect is not up to it. So to clarify my doubt, I can question. So this question can be two types. One can lead to just plain argument with no result and the other is an introspection. So that's been spoken of in our scripture that when your mind is tranquil and you have uh, your Buddhi's Yukta, you have taken this as a decision that I am choosing this path. I have decided it has become Yukta. Then what happens? Then sravana and manana ensues. That first I hear and then taking the final decision to be okay, that's correct. I not just humbly accept the fact that my understanding is not up to it. There must be some gap in my understanding. So I go on cogitating upon it. So from faith, this too happens, Sravana, Manana. So from that, that speaks of this Buddha, without developing the faculty of controlling the mind, there cannot be proper vichara. There cannot be, uh, which results from Sravana and Manana. But this Sravana and Manana at last will give you a conclusive decision. When through Manana, you at last understand, the gaps of your understanding has fallen off, then you come to a conclusive decision. Yes. With a tranquil mind, I sat down, I thought over it, and now I come to an intellectual conviction. Now I have to start living the life. So, in spiritual life, that once you have that intellectual conviction, yes, now I understand it. All my doubts have vanished. As when Swami Vivekananda was teaching the Upanishads to the young Brahmacharis in Belurmat, the novices, he suddenly stopped teaching and asked, do you, can you tell me what's the utility of studying the Upanishads? Is it going to give you realization? No. Then why are we are going to study the Upanishads? His simple answer was because it clears, the removes the waves of your mind. That there are so many gaps in our understanding. Those things are clear. The mind will have a now a very clear vision. Unless you have a clear vision, you will never develop the motivation but bhavana speaks of motivation to work on your intellectual conviction. First you have a conviction, then only you can develop a proper motivation. So bhavana speaks of that motivation. Now, the next, after through śravana, manana, you have developed a intellectual conviction about your ideal, then your practice starts. You start contemplating on your intellectual conviction. You start internalizing it. So bhavana results from the contemplation on your intellectual conviction. So that's in our scriptures, in Vedanta, it is termed as Nididhyasana. So you're contemplating, contemplating on your intellectual conviction. This alone can result in Shanti. How? Now when you start contemplating, that in the very specific Vedanta term, they say that Brahman, the Brahma is the ultimate reality. We all are the projection of Brahman. But it's very difficult to understand through a through lot of Sravana, Manana when we really realize that I am that conscious principle. But intellectual understanding won't do. When the real crisis of life, life comes, challenges of life come, we will find that intellectual conviction is washed off. Just the way a drug addict knows very well that his addiction is harming him or her, is destroying his or her life. Intellectually he knows that, but can he help himself? He finds that his tendencies are so strong that intellectual conviction is washed away. So he has to be in a rehabilitation camp where two things have to be done. One is slowly that his addiction has to be reduced, not in one day. What they do that if you were taking a very very high dose of whatever drugs you are taking, they will reduce the de- I mean, so they will increase the gap, and reduce the dose. So that speaks of renunciation. And another thing they will do, they will try they will help us in developing some new hobbies, so that my mind is distracted into that, something creative. Yeah, so maybe it's a painting. Or music, whatever it may be, gardening. So your mind is distracted into that. (coughs) That speaks of the bhavana, the culture. So you're renouncing something, you are trying to, now you have to live your life according to that. When I come back from the rehabilitation camp and all those good things, the culture which I was developing, I stop. My mind cannot stay in one place. Naturally, it will again go back to all the things I were doing because. It has, it has to be kept in something positive. I was not doing. So again, it will regress back. So I have to continue. So here also, when you have an intellectual conviction, you have to constantly meditate. How, now, what, how it will help? In the spiritual sense, as we have mentioned again and again, that what's the cause of all our suffering is the ego. The Brahman, the ultimate reality is finding expression is being reflected in the psychophysical existence. And I take that reflection to be real and that develops the Ahankara. And on that Ahankara, all our likes and dislikes are hooked. When the Brahman finds expression as bacteria, you keep some nutrient in front of it, it will be drawn towards it. If you keep some poison, some toxin, it will be pushed away from it. It will be just running away from it. Why? Because once it gets identified with the body, now it thinks my existence depends on its nourishment. So I have to nourish, I should be avoiding anything which is deterring for its existence. Because I have identified now myself with the psychophysical existence. So all these (coughs) likes and dislikes which we have developed, so the entire process of evolution is circling around that ego. Now, when through Sravana Manana you have at last come to the conviction that I am the Self, this all these likes and dislikes are hooked to the ego, which is a product of ignorance. Now we constantly go on contemplating, which is the result of your conviction that I am that conscious principle, Aham Brahmasmi. Or if you're a devotee, you think that I am the Spirit, Lord is the Spirit. We are in eternal conjunction. We are in eternal association with the divine. No one can take away from it. This life is just a passing phase. All the likes and dislikes are just something temporal. But nothing can affect me and my eternal companionship with the divine. The same thing affects, the same happens. What you're doing with that thought, you're constantly hammering on the ego. The ego is the hub of the will on which like the spokes all the likes and dislikes are connected. If I remove one of the spokes, the wheel is still intact because the other spokes keep it intact. But if I remove the hub, the ego, all the spokes will fall off collapsing the entire, is what you say the texture of your psychophysical uh, existence. So here also, as if you're doing the same thing, when out of Nididhyasana, the Bhavana has developed, Nididhyasana speaks of the Bhavana. Sravanambhava and manana leads to the buddhi, intellectual conviction, that that conviction you have made it your life. You are sleeping, dreaming, living your life based on that idea. You're assimilating that idea. Then that idea becomes what you say that the bhavana. And that bhavana what it is doing is eradicating your ego, which is the hub of your entire, as such, the psychophysical existence. Which constitutes of so many likes and dislikes. They all start falling off. We have stopped feeding the innumerable birds every day morning. I was feeding them every day, these likes and dislikes. They wanted to be pampered. I was pampering. I stopped. So after a few days, what will happen? They get the feedback. We are not going to be fed anymore. They stop coming, stop falling off. And that will result in this shanti, the let go and shoes. And when they let go and choose, that gives you the ultimate Sukha. Because previously what was happening that one of the mental module was becoming active. I was pampering it. Its desire was fulfilled. I thought I am released by that time another came. So constantly though I was the spam, what you say that nurturing them, but their expectation is constantly there. Now one is disturbing, the the next word, another is disturbing. Sukha was something temporary. Just after feeding one, for the time being, it has went, the other is yet to come. So I was a bit happy. The sukha was something not permanent. It was just momentary. So this sukha speaks of happiness, which is never going to be disturbed. In the scripture, they speak of happiness, which is like the flow of the oil. When you are pouring oil from one continent to another because of the viscosity, there is no interruption. It flows without an interruption. They say that Sukha becomes just like the flow of the oil without an interruption because all the modules have fallen off once for all. So in this life, so all this started with what? With the focus. Let me take this way of life as my ideal, that yukta. With that came, gradually the conviction came, the buddhi developed. From buddhi the bhavana came, the bhavana gave you shanti, from the shanti came that happiness, which is never to be interrupted. So without that focus, nothing is going to happen. So in the very simple words of Sri Ramakrishna, Sri sometimes reading the gospel without knowing Bengali becomes, you don't you miss the charm. Because Ramakrishna has a wonderful capacity to make, pun, make pun of the words. He used to, this words, he used to pun with the words, he used to play with the words. So in Bengali, it is like this. Uh, I will try to explain, because it's very difficult to translate, but still, it's very interesting. Even those who, uh, any other Indian language, those who know, they can also, to a certain extent, relate to it. He used to say, J Chai, in Hindi, it will be Jo Chahata Hai. J Chai She Pai. Jo 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 what you want, you're bound to get. J na chai take baro bhute nachai. Jo nehin jo nehi chata hai usko bha bara bhut ghosts usko nachata hai. Na this what he is doing in When you say na chai, there is a space between na and chai, means the one who doesn't want. So say for him, he will have to dance in the whims of all the so-called barahud means all those mental modules. They're like ghosts making you dance. So that when, when there's no space between na and chai, it becomes na chana. So na chana, na chai means makes him dance. So, Jai Chai. so you have to want something. You make your buddhi connected with something. Then only you can get it. You are bound to get it. If you don't really want something, if you are just simply browsing, if you are just simply jumping from one thought to another, it's like the internet browsing without any definite goal. So you will be just made to dance with the whims of all these mental likes and dislikes, which are like, the ghosts. I still remember I was still a student yet to join the Ramakrishna order and the Swami who is in Sydney, Swami Sridharananda he was addressing uh, the students in some youth conference uh, he came to just conduct the question answer session and you know the students can ask all sorts of questions. some um, Sometimes it is a good question, sometimes it's a very silly question so I still remember one of the students asked a very silly question. It has nothing to do with that spiritual, uh, that, uh, that convention. Suddenly he asked that one question was, that's whether ghost is or not. Is there any ghost, something called ghost? And the reply of Swamiji was very interesting, very funny. He told, yeah, there are a lot of ghosts. And the next question he immediately he was asked, where Swamiji, where are the ghosts? Can we see them? He told, just simply dive into your mind. You can see there are so many ghosts. There are so many ghosts making you dance in their in, the, in their whims. <clears throat> and that's what is happening. <clears throat> so unless you are having a yukta, means your mind which is focused, knowing for certain, you are going to dance in the whims of all these likes and dislikes. And if you have a fixed mind, that will give you the conviction. Then you will start developing a motivation, that bhavana, to build your life on that conviction that alone can give you shanti and that can lead to the sukha just <clears throat> yes, sorry so that in the 66th sloka we saw that it was speaking of that how that without the tranquility of mind there cannot be the eradication of sorrow the next sloka, the 67th, will sloka will say that without the tranquility of mind, there can neither be wisdom. So Indriyanang, the 67th, this is also a very <coughs> interesting sloka. Indriyanang hi charatang yanmanang yanu vidhyate tadasya harati pragyang vayu navam iva ambhasi. Indriyanang Hicha, just you will find that just as a strong wind sweeps the boat away from its track, that the boat is going, is following a certain direction, and the cyclone comes, the tsunami comes, the boat is washed off. It just simply starts floating hither and thither, being carried by the winds. It loses its track. Similarly, if we allow our mind to follow the senses. What to speak of five senses? Just one sense you follow. It will take you away from your track. You will be out of your track. You will get distracted and you will be, your way will be lost. At last, it will destroy you. It will kill you. So just as the strong wind sweeps up the boat, This Navam Iva ambhasi. So, this in the waters the boat is flowing. That how it is carried away by the strong winds. It is is swept away from its course. Even so, one of the senses, not all the senses, what to speak of all the senses. If all the five senses are active, what to speak of? Even just one sense, in one of the senses on which the mind is focused. It has the capacity to lead you astray because as, as we have already discussed that your vision is getting clouded by the liking or disliking, which is followed by their senses, it's getting totally clouded as a very nice sloka, uh, which I will read out this kuranga, matanga, patanga, bhringa, minataha, Pancha reva pancha. Eka pramadi sakatham nahanyate. Ya sevate pancha reva pancha. It is in Sukti Sudhakar. These are the collection of various uh, proverbs in the form of verses. Very interesting. What it is saying uh, is very interesting that kuranga means deer. Matanga means bees. Patanga, insects. Bringa, elephant, mina fish. These five different creatures are killed just being drawn by one of the senses. These five creatures, each being drawn by one of the senses can be killed. How? This kuranga, the deer. You know how the hunter will be attracting the deers? With music, the sound, hearing the sweet sound they will play some sweet music the deers are drawn towards that and that's how the deers are tracked and they are killed so just one indriya the sound is sufficient to kill that deer to dist, to distract it and to kill it to delude it and kill it the bees are attached to the fragrance sometimes the fragrance with the fragrance they are drawn to the flower and when they are sucking the nectar the night comes, the flower closes, and the bee gets stuck in it, and that becomes the cause of its death. So, fragrance, Gandha. Shabda kills the deer, smell, the fragrance kills the bees. Insects are drawn by the light. We have seen that some fire is burning, the insects come and jump on it, and there they die. They get burnt and died. They, they, they and die. So, Rupa, Rupa. This light speaks of the rupa, the vision. By being attracted by this rupa, the insects die. Elephants are trapped by the sense of touch. They will domesticate a female elephant and will make that they want to most probably trap, trap a male elephant, wild elephant. What they will do, they will make the female elephant go and touch the male elephant and then make the female run, uh, elephant run, the male elephant will now start running after it and they will have some trap in the way. They will make the female elephant run in a way where the trap is there. And as it's running, the male elephant is running after the female elephant, it will fall on the trap and that's how it is trapped. So just by touch, the elephant can be trapped or even it can be killed. And this rasana, this food by which the fish is trapped. In the bed, you keep some uh, what some insects. The fish gets lured by it. And there's a hook on the bait on which it gets trapped. And it's killed. So each of these five animals are killed just by being drawn by one of the senses. Now think our condition. All the five senses are drawing us constantly. What will be our condition? Eka pramadi Sakatham. Eka pramadi. For all the other fives, only one have resulted in Pramada, the delusion, resulting in death. Sakatham nahanyate ye sevate reva pancha. How can you think that one can be saved who is doing seva, he's serving all the five? So he's bound to be deluded. So That's the idea which is being spoken of here. That even one indriya, even one indriya, can kill us. Then what to speak of if all the indriyas, if all the senses are constantly drawing us? So you can never have pragya. You are deluded, and the delusion will result in destruction. So after saying that, as a conclusion, the 68th sloka, the what Bhagavan is saying, the Therefore. Asya mahabaho nigrihitani sarvasha. That's the very first thing. Don't get drawn by the senses. The senses are created in such a way, as in the Kathopanishad, which has been mentioned. Paranchikhani vyatrinatsvayambhu. Dasmat parakpashyati naantaratman. Kaschid dhiraha pratyagatmanaikshat avrittachaksu amritatvamichan. Yes. Mantras are so wonderful. Paranchi khani swayambhu, the Lord, the Swayambhu, has inflicted, has inflicted injury to the senses in such a way that they always move outwards. They never turn within. Kasmat Parak, Parak means outside. Pashyatina Antaratma, not going within. dhira Pratyak, the opposite of Parak is Pratyak moving out, moving in. Kaschit dhīra, the few fortunate ones who are the blessed ones, who are dhīra, again the tranquil. Dhīra is the one who is tranquil, is calmed on his mind. They develop the motivation to dive within. Kaścid dhīra pratyak ātman, the self which is within, is diving within. avritta chakshu This speaks of not only eyes, avritta chakshu means not only eyes, he controls all the senses. Why? Amritattva Mikshan. If you really want eternal bliss, eternal wisdom, that is, speaks of Amritattva. That there is no annihilation for me as per my existence is concerned, as per my bliss is concerned. I am. So for that, that's the first thing is avritta chakshu. You have to withdraw the senses, which are ultimately going out. When you can do that, then only you can be established in bliss, can be established in wisdom. So that's why, tasma tasya mahavaho, sarvasha. that sarvasha is important in totality. Sri Ramakrishna used to say a very interesting thing, that if when you're trying to insert that thread into the eye of a needle, And the threads fibers are all scattered. You can never uh, enter the thread into the eye of the needle if all the fibers of the thread are scattered. They have to be one-pointed. That speaks of Yukta, that it has to be focused. If the desires, if thousands of desires like the fibers are dissipating, it can never uh, enter into the eye of the needle. It can never just. be focused to the ideal. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying that it can never attain the goal. So here also the same idea. Tasma, dasya, mahava, nigritani, sarvasha, all. Even a single fiber is, uh, what you say, is not focused. It won't allow the, the thread to pass through the needle. It has, has to be focused. So sarvasha, all. Indriyani, indriyarthhebhya, dasya, pragya, pratisthita. What constantly indriani, indriarthebhya means? This all the sense organs are constantly being uh, driven by the sense objects. So nigrihe, nigrihitahani means uh, this, you have to stop the sense organs, the organs of perception to be drawn towards all the, these objects of perception. That is nigriha, that is nigriha means to kill, to just totally disjoin this then only your pragya, your wisdom can be established. That can lead you to the ultimate spiritual attainment goal. So in this context, just a very interesting, funny story, we will indicate that how the word sarvasha in this sloka, the word sarvasha is a very important in totality. Even a little trace of desire is there, you are gone. You cannot, you miss the goal. The desire has to be totally eradicated without even a trace of it. That purity should be total. There's a nice in the story which indicates this idea, which, which is reflects this idea. How story is this? How true is the story? We don't know. But this its significance is something very profound. That Kavir Das, his guru, Ramananda, when he was in his deathbed, he was it's a very funny story. So what the disciples did to just give him some shed, they lay the bed on the shadow of a mango tree. And Ramananda was lying there waiting for the death. The last moment of his life has come. All the disciples were surrounding him and Ramananda in his deathbed declared, the moment I die, you can hear the bells ringing in the heaven. I will reach heaven and the bells will be ringing in the heaven. Now after a few days he died, no one heard anything. Then he told most probably in the moment of death he was in a delirium, he spoke something which has no meaning. They revered his guru, Ramanan They say so he spiritually illumined soul. So most probably in the last moment he was in a delirium, he spoke something which is out of context. But Kabir Das was highly devoted to his guru. He told never, no, our guru's single word not a single word can be incongruous. He's a realized soul. How can he speak something nonsense? What he spoke must be true. Others told how can it be? But there's no ringing of the bell. The will wet. Then others told that you have to prove that our guru, what he told, was not something just a simple, uh, what you say, that something nonsense out of delirium he was speaking. It is true. Yes, I will prove it. So then he told, look up on the mango tree, it was almost off-season, only one ripe mango was there. All others have dried, only one ripe mango was there. Kabidas just pointed it, uh, pointed that mango to all. So they also yes, well, what, what does that mango has to do with our Guru's death? And then Kabidas climbed the mango, uh, climbed the tree and plucked the mango, brought it back, and he asked for a knife. With that, he cut the mango, when he cut the mango, an insect was crawling inside it. There was an insect inside the mango. So he took the insect between his two fingers and pressed it. There was a small insect, immediately died. And then all could hear the ringing of the bells in the heaven. When he was in his deathbed, he has no desires, but the ripe mango at last gave him the a little desire to test it. And immediately after his death, he, was, he has taken birth as a small insect to taste the mango. But there was no other desire, only the desire for testing the mango was there, nothing else. So the moment it was pressed, there's no other desire. Now he is in the heaven, so the bell rang. So this is the story. Now, how much we will take it literally, we don't know, but it speaks of a profound significance behind it. But even a tress, little tress of desire is the cause of our bondage because it is, has the capacity to delude us, to gravitate us again back to this world of physical existence. It may be in any form, it has the capacity, single desire has the capacity to gravitate us down to this physical plane of existence. So it speaks of total eradication of that to really result in emancipation. So that's what the idea which we get from the 68th uh, Sloka, the second chapter, And a few more slokas are remaining of this chapter, which you will find that it speaks of that ultimate jnana, the second chapter. Though, it may give us a feeling it speaks of the ultimate jnana, but somehow we find the bhakti element is not so prominent here. Gita is a wonderful scripture which synthesizes the jnana, the bhakti, the uh, contemplative tradition, the karma, the action. So to get that idea of that synthesis, we have to now continue with all the other chapters. Though the second chapter we will find somehow gives the uh, that idea of that ultimate Jnana. So many will be confusing the, by studying Gita that second chapter is the, uh, what you say, the uh, ultimate principle which has been spoken of in the Gita is the second chapter. All of the chapters are the elucidations of it. But that way we will make a big mistake. As we proceed, we will find that Bhagavan has synthesized all the ways in a total from a different paradigm. In the introduction, we were giving some hints to that paradigm. We will again come back to that paradigm as we go on with the chapters, uh, which will follow after the second chapter. Another four slokas are remaining. After that, we will continue with the third chapter. Uh, <clears throat> so this chapter, is going to end with that idea of that, the self, which is the essence of our being and the more we are established in that, the more we can be at peace with our life by developing a sense of serenity which transcends the suffering, it's not eradicates the suffering, transcends the so-called suffering of life. They are there flowing, you are not touched by it. So in another force locus, we will be discussing on the same lines uh, uh, and then conclude and then proceed to the next chapter. With this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskars.